Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. says, entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, everybody say Peter, Tell his disciples and Peter that he go up before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And so, of course, this is the whole story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the women, Mary Magdalene and others, went early to the tomb to already find that the stone had been rolled away. And they meet this individual, uh, which some of the other places of Scripture declares that it was an angel of the Lord. And this angel of the Lord tells them that the Lord has risen. But more particularly in verse 7, that they were to go their way and tell the disciples and Peter that uh, Jesus went before them into Galilee and that they would see him there. And I'm reaching for people today because when the angel said, tell his disciples... We understand through New Testament scripture that Peter was one of those disciples. Yet the angel specifically says, tell Peter. He could have stopped and just said, tell the disciples. But he specifically says, tell Peter. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to speak to this group of people today. Go tell Peter, I love him. And if you will, I want you to just insert your name in that title where Peter's name is and say it with me this morning but put your name in there go tell Paul I love him amen because we do have us God who loves deeply you more than what you can even uh, fathom at this place in time amen and we are here today uh, not because of an accident or happenstance we're here today because I believe the Lord wants us here let's pray this morning father I love you today I pray Jesus you're able to move in this place God, minister to a heart, to a soul. God, Lord, let a life, God, be touched. God, by your word, help us, God, to find, Lord Jesus, comfort. Lord, in your word, strengthen, Lord Jesus, us, motivate us. God, turn us in the right direction, God, that we need to go. I know, Lord God, that you're able to help us even now. Lord Jesus, as we pray and as we minister the word of the Lord, let God it find a place, Lord, of security in our hearts and lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Go tell Peter I love him. Mary Ann Bird writes and says, I grew up knowing I was different. She says, I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen, cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been more different than anybody else. 
I was convinced that no one outside of my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. She was short and round and happy. She was a sparkling lady with a great personality. And annually at the school, we had a hearing test. When Miss Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, it finally came to be my turn for the hearing test. I knew from past years how things went. This is how things would normally go when we had our hearing test. We would stand against the door and we would cover one of our ears. And the teacher, as she sat at her desk, would whisper something. And then we would have to repeat back to her what she whispered to us as we stood at the door. And she would whisper things like, the sky is blue, or do you have any new shoes? Or, and as I stood there against the door for my hearing test, I waited for those words that Evidently, God must have put in her mouth those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper from her desk to me as I was standing at the back door, these words, I wish you were my little girl. Somehow, deformed since birth, this little girl was convinced that she was unlovable. And as she stood there, she heard something very unexpected assuring words that another person actually desired her, that another person loved her, although she was in a state of imperfection. And our hearts are touched by such stories this morning. We hear these and we go ooh and we go all, and it strengthens our confidence, no doubt, in humanity. But this kind of compassion and this kind of love of one toward another, I want you to know this morning was a God idea before it was ever man's idea. No sooner had Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis and had sown fig leaves together over themselves that God would start to seek them out, amen, as he normally would have in the cool of the day to see where their whereabouts were. Their state of perfection from the moment he created them had changed. Their state of sinlessness, sinlessness in which he had created them had changed. They had now transgressed again the Lord but that did not mean he turned his back upon them that did not mean he put his eyes in the other direction but he sought after them just as normal were they imperfect imperfect now absolutely they had sinned against God nevertheless God still sought them out and was interested in their whereabouts. There was no indication in scripture that God was even surprised by what had occurred or surprised by what they had done. But I do believe that Adam and Eve was surprised that that God would still come after them and pursue them knowing they had done what they had done. They had their own guilt and their own shame upon their shoulders and the Bible declares that that drove them away from the very presence of God but all the while while they were running from him he was running toward them wanting to somehow cure the ills that had happened in their life they they were dealing with feelings of disappointment 
as though they had failed and felt like failures, but God was reaching for them. That isn't the only account in the word of the Lord that we have a God that reached for us in spite of our failure. A God that reached for us in spite of things that we have done that have been against him. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16 verses 4 through 6, this is the writer and he's speaking to Jerusalem. He's speaking to that city where the tabernacle was, where God's people were. And he says these words. These are the words of the Lord. As for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. Neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, he said, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee when thou wast in thine own blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Everything that's described in these three short verses is what was not done for Jerusalem. What is described in these three short verses is the normal way that savages and barbarians would treat their young that had deformity or that had something wrong with them. A barbarian or a savage that had a child that was deformed, they would not give them the time of day. They, they would not salt them and supple them or wrap them in swaddling clothes as was the custom. They would just leave them there since they were not really able to support themselves they were at, at the mercy of their environment amen they were considered by their own families unfit for their households and so their parents would just abandon them to the fields for wild beasts to come along and devour them in their pitiful condition but God says your natural savage barbarian parents may do that if you had a deformity upon you he says but I'll tell you if I saw you in the same condition and I passed by you and saw your deformity and your unfitness and your pitifulness I would declare unto you live I wouldn't turn my back to you I wouldn't abandon you I wouldn't walk away from you because I would see something worth saving in spite of your deformity I would see something worth saving in spite of your failure he said I would come alongside you and I would wash you I would do everything for you that they didn't do for you. I would anoint your body. I would wash away the blood. I would deck you in some of the finest garments that there was. Amen. In spite of your failure, if I made today, God would say, I wish you were my child. I wish you were my son. I wish you were my daughter. Someone say amen. I can't but admit to you today, all of us born into the Adamic nature. We are born into, if you will, a condition of sin. We are born into a condition, if you will, of flaws and deformity, so to speak. But our God comes along aside us while we're there sometimes embarrassed by who we are or what our sin or what we've done and maybe times even want to be like Adam and Eve. Let me find some trees or some fig leaves to sew together to hide the flaws 
flaws in my life. We're sometimes like the man in the New Testament scripture. The Bible says he had a withered hand and the Bible says he had that withered hand tucked back in the folds of his garment. I mean, who in the world wants to see his deformity? Who in the world wants to see that hand that's drawn and just shrunk up? He's no doubt thinking, I'll keep that hid. But the Bible says Jesus came to him and he said these words, stretch forth your hand. The man knew what he was talking about and Jesus knew what he was talking about. What is he saying? You put that deformity right out in my presence. You stretch that thing. And the Bible says when he did, it became straight and normal. Folks, it may seem like an impossibility in the world. It might seem like an impossibility in your current environment and circumstances. But if you will take the flaws and the failures of your life and present them in the presence of God, he has the ability of making all things new. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because God doesn't just see who we are, what we are. He anticipates what we can be. So none of us today need to feel more inadequate than the next. Because our need for God is squarely based upon the premise that we all have flawed personalities, tainted lives. And the common cliche is this for us, is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't have an upper hand on you or upper leg on you, and you don't on me. We all come to a level ground at the foot of the cross. Some maybe even entered these double doors today. Maybe a little intimidating. Sometimes the church can be intimidating. Especially, and I say this with all regard, especially if this is your first time ever being here, it can be intimidating. You know, you walk into a place that that's where someone normally goes, so on and so forth. And sometimes we can walk into this building, even if you're a member of this church, and there's times that you might begin to think in your mind, you're perceiving somebody else, maybe, well, you know, they're a little better than I am, or they got it together more than I do. And we have these little perceived perfections that we see in each other. You know, they got it all together, and here I got some things falling apart, and we're a little intimidated because our mind is playing battles on us. And so we scurry in the church and we scurry out of the church and, and we have our hang ups at times and, and our faults at times and our failures at times and some people even sit on church pews and they think you know uh, I want to go to church but you know what in the back of my mind I've really gone too far or, or I've done too much or I've experienced just, just too much there's, there's no possible way of, of getting to Calvary there's just no possible way that God would even receive me he, he won't have compassion on me yes on them because they got it together but on me no no not on me but the statement in God's word that's found in John 7 was this this was Christ's call in that hour he said come unto me now when he said come unto me that statement was not qualified and had all kinds of criteria that was behind it that a person had to meet in order to come unto the Lord or approach the Lord. There was really only one stipulation that was attached with his call, come unto me, and that was this. 
If any man thirst, let him come unto me. That was the only stipulation. It didn't say you had to be of a certain socioeconomic class. It didn't say only people that did particular faults or failures and sins, those are the ones who qualified. It didn't say we had to be of a certain race or nationality. He just said, come unto me if you thirst, come unto me. So the only qualification for the deformed, the only qualification for the dirty, the only qualification, if you will, for the abandoned and those that had failure and felt hopelessness is that they just had to be thirsty enough for him. He said, if you're thirsty, then come on. If you're thirsty, don't, 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 don't you take a back seat, go on and come unto me. If you're thirsty enough, you can bypass all the masses and all the intimidation and make your approach to me. Someone say amen. And if that still seems to be too general for you this morning, you can put your name in that any man's pot. And I'm here to tell you today, whoever you are, if Paul thirst, I can go to God. If Terry thirst, I can go to God. If Fred thirst, I can go to God. Any of our guests here today, if you're thirsty for the Lord, you can approach the Lord. Man, woman, boy, girl, rich, poor, old, young, single, married, divorced. It doesn't matter. We can come unto God. We can come unto God. And yet what we war with, there isn't a feeling perhaps more burdensome in our life than that feeling as though that you may have failed someone, particularly when it's someone that you know, right? Because we can fail people we don't know and never know it. Or if we have no relationship with them, it's like, hey, what's that, the skin off my back? But when you know them and you failed them, and there's disappointment from them. That's burdensome unto us. And so, speaking of the apostle Peter, he could not have felt any more let down or disappointed in himself than the moment after the Bible says, the cock crowed for the last time. Because Peter was among some of the first disciples that were called to follow the Lord. He had spent nearly three and a half years with Christ. He had steadily received teaching from him along oceans and under trees and seashores and so on and so forth. He had been selected, hand-selected as part of that inner three of Peter, James, and John that witnessed some things that none of the other disciples witnessed. They would hear stories and they would be allowed to go up the Mount of Transfiguration and see the Lord his, his demeanor and everything just completely changed as a shining, amen, garment. And they would be there whenever Jairus' daughter was brought back to life from death. And so they, they were given all these privileges and perks. That was Peter's relationship with the Lord. Peter was a natural-born leader. But now in his position, it almost seems he's a natural-born failure as well, like all of us. And so there's a series of events that's recorded in this downward spiral. If you look at Mark 14, this is leading up to the crucifix of our Lord. Mark 14 and verse 27. And the Bible says, and Jesus saith unto them, he's speaking to his disciples, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. 
But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith to him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So Christ says, all of you is going to be offended in me because of this, this night and what's going to happen. But Peter, believing like he was the exception to the rule, says, no, Lord, I know you say all, but not me. We, we've, we've been tight, Lord. We've been in this together. Not everyone, not me. Christ even told him of his denial, how he would deny the Lord. And still Peter is very, very adamant. And he claimed, no, Lord, something must be, you know, wrong here because I don't, I'm not going to deny you. Not, not me. Lord, even if it required me dying with you, I'm there. I'm, I'm there. And not wanting to single Peter out really too much, we read in Scripture that the rest of the disciples seem to say the same or, you know, agree with what was being said. Yet Christ singles Peter out in verse number 37. And he asked him, as they go to that Garden of Gethsemane, and that it's that time of prayer that Jesus is struggling in the garden and saying, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass with me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He, he had asked some disciples to pray. He had taken those three, Peter, James, and John, a little closer to the spot that he was praying at, and he'd asked them to pray. But in verse 37, Christ once again singles Peter out and says, Peter, he went back to him. Could you not even watch with me one hour? He's asleep. He's slumbering. He's sleeping. So could you not even watch with me one hour? I mean, one of the main moments that the Lord really needed him and needed him to be praying. Peter's sleeping and he's slumbering. He's got drool coming out the side of his mouth, you know, snoring over by the rock. Amen. I just needed to be able to depend upon you, but Peter couldn't watch with him one hour. For that matter, John, the, the gospel of John enlightens the fact that when they came to take Jesus and apprehend him with their staves and their swords, that it was Peter that hastily cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant. Amen. And the Lord again is talking to Peter. Now, Peter, put up your sword, right? He says, put up your sword. If you go take the sword, you'll live and die by the sword. Just put up the sword. And so here's Peter. He's being hasty again, and the Lord's putting him in his place. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was apprehended, the Bible says all the other disciples forsook him and fled, including Peter. Yet later, around verse 54, it tells us that Peter is starting to follow him. Everybody fled, everybody dispersed, everybody scattered. But now in verse 54, Peter is starting to follow the Lord from afar off. And unlike others, Peter... Some others besides Peter was around and about the palace where Jesus was being tried and placed on trial. And unlike the others, rather than just sitting around and being there in earshot, at three different occasions, people came to Peter and said, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of them that was with the Lord? Aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you that individual? And three times, Peter blatantly denies the Lord that he said, I'm not going to, Lord, people's going to deny you about not me, Lord. I, I know even if you're going to die, I'm going to be there. But here's Peter now. He's denying three times. And upon the last time doing so, in verse 72, the Bible says, and when he thought thereon, this is Peter now, when Peter thought thereon, he wept 
Both Matthew and Luke said that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Some of the last actions of Peter before Christ would die on the cross are not positive. He's found denying the Lord. He's found in certain regards he couldn't be depended upon in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was unnecessarily aggressive whenever Jesus was being apprehended and he denied the Lord not one time but three times when he said, I'm going to be with you even to the death of this thing. Listen now, Peter's in the palace. Peter's in the area close to where Jesus is. Think with me for a moment. It is quite possible that the last words that Peter spoke was within earshot of Jesus. And what Jesus would be hearing Peter say was words of denial concerning the Lord. Someone say amen. Yet, we read in our scripture text that when the women went to that empty tomb on that early morning, that the angel's words to them was this, go tell the disciples and Peter that I want to see them in Galilee just like I did before the failure happened. In other words, the Lord saying, I've not changed my mind in having a meeting with him. I've not changed my mind in having a discussion with them. I desire to be with them just as much as I did before all this other stuff has happened. Remember now, all has forsaken the Lord. All the disciples have forsaken him. They fled from him. But humanly speaking, Peter has went just a little further. He has denied the Lord three times. So Christ wants all of them to know, I want to meet you just like I said I wanted to meet you in Galilee. But I for sure want Peter to know because he couldn't be depended on in the garden and he was acting aggressively there and he denied me three times but just in case there's any doubt in that disciple's mind I'm going to call him out today Peter I still want to have communion with you as well I'm preaching to somebody today that may have entered this house with a few little doubts wondering all that preacher preaches about applies to everybody else but me Redemption can't be mine. Salvation can't be mine. Forgiveness can't be mine. But I come today as a preacher this morning and God wants to call you out. You put your name in there. He still wants to meet with you. He... Oh, yes. Someone say amen. Peter, in spite of what has happened, in spite of how you feel self-disappointed and you feel the frustration and you feel the failure over what you've done, he said it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed my feelings about meeting with you. Now, Bible describes that over eight days have passed from the first appearance until they finally arrive at Galilee. Eight days have passed since they first had the encounter at the tomb until they would finally meet in Galilee. All because in many respects a lot of the disciples, even Peter was still yet somewhat in disbelief. Why? Just think with me for a moment. In our minds let's be human for a, fact, for a moment. Can anybody be human today? Let's think for a moment. Why would Jesus want to meet with me 
when I fled as he was being taken. Why would Jesus want to meet with me when he just asked me to simply help him pray and I slept? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go along the regular mindset of our humanity. But listen to me. Let me lay someone's mind today and tell you that in the same breath, and that's important, in the same breath, that Jesus told them that he would go before them into Galilee after he rose from the dead. In the same breath, he told Peter he would deny him. What are you saying then? I'm saying this. In the same breath, he said, I'll meet you. He told Peter, you're going to fail. God is not surprised by our failure. God is not surprised by our mistakes and our flaws. For that matter, Brother Terry, he's not overwhelmed by it. He's not overwhelmed by our tendency to flub up. If I say it like this today, Jesus knew Peter would fail him before he ever did. Can I tell you, not only did he know that Peter was going to fail him before he ever did, he knew when his next failure was coming. Can I tell you this morning that God knows, amen, even when your next mistake is going to happen, amen, or your next failure is going to take place. But still, in spite, having that foreknowledge, in spite of that, he, you know what he's saying? I want to have a meeting with you. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have communion with you. But God, you know I'm going to mess up. Yeah, he said, but I want to meet with can somebody hear me right now? God's not surprised. God's not overwhelmed. He knows the fallacy of our flesh. He knows the fallacy of our humanity, but he still reaches for us. Amen. You might be fighting things in your mind today that says, Pastor McGee, I don't know why I'm here, yet God knows perfectly why you are here because he says, I want to meet with him. I want to commune with him. Someone say glory. Notice now, Jesus not only knew Peter would fail him, Jesus noticed or saw Peter's failure. You have nothing to hide. Look now, whenever those words, whenever that cock crowed for the second time, and Peter realized this and he wept, the Bible says plainly in Luke 22 and verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter he was aware he noticed Peter's failure in the moment and so ladies and gentlemen you don't have anything to lose here today because we are all exposed in the eyes of God the Bible even says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth he builds the evil and he beholds the good so he knew before we failed and he sees us as we are failing Woo! But he says through the angel, go tell Peter that God is going before him into Galilee and he will see him there just like he said. You know what that means? That even after the failure, God calls and purposely says, you know what? I still want to meet with you. So think with me for a moment. He knows I'm going to fail. He sees me when I fail. And he's still calling to me after I fail. 
So let me tell you something. We're all probably somewhere of those three divisions. Failure's on the brink. We're in the middle of failing right now. Or we've just failed. The call of God is still beckoning unto you. Whether it's in your future, in your present, or in your past, the Spirit of the Lord is still beckoning and calling unto you. Folks, do you realize that God prepared a storm and God prepared a great fish and God prepared a gourd and God prepared a worm all for the sake of a fallen soul, Jonah? Amen. Jonah fell, but God says, I got to do whatever I got to do in order to reach this young man. Why? Because God. God, listen to this very clearly today. God cares more about you or God cares more about the man than he does the man's mistake. Someone hearing me right now? Because if God wanted to, he could have said, you go tell the disciples and the one that denied me that I'm going to meet with him at Galilee. But he didn't pinpoint him as the denier. He didn't pinpoint him or label him by his failure. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because God deemed the man more important than the man's mistake. He said, you go tell Peter. I know what he's done. I don't have to define him by that. Go tell Peter. I you may have been a cheater. You may have been a liar. You may have been a fornicator. You may have been an adulterer. But God's calling your name today because you're more important than your mistake. Hallelujah. Calls him by name. Peter's name needs a rock or a stone. Doesn't sound like someone unsure. Doesn't sound like somebody vacillating. Sounds like somebody that's resolute. Somebody that's dis, that's that's dependable. Peter, a rock or a stone, his name means. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 and 3, the Lord hath appeared unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness. Have I drawn thee? While Peter was denying the Lord, the Lord was preparing to die for Peter's sins. It's a powerful thought that the act that Peter was doing, the Lord was preparing to take care of the sin of the denial at the same time. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when ye were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were, everybody say, yet, yet sinners. Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. He died for the deniers, the cheaters, the flawed, the deformed. They didn't meet a different qualification in order for him to die for them. No. He said while they were yet sinners. Brother Mason, you can come today. 
In 1 John 21, Jesus asked Peter, and you look at there in your own times, the last chapter of the book of John. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's almost like, because the Lord does this three times. And the Bible says that uh, Peter and some of the other disciples had been on the water and they had been fishing. And, and they see then this, this man that's on the shore. He prepares a fire. They're trying to decide who really it is. John ends up telling Peter, he says, Peter, that's the Lord. And so Peter feels a little self-conscious and he kind of pulls his garment in close and jumps into the water and swims to the shore. And the Bible says that the Lord had a fire going. He had some meat burning on the fire. The reason why I say that it's so unique or I don't call it coincidence because God does things on purpose. But nonetheless, there's a fire there and he's asking Peter three times if he loves him. To my estimation, because sometime in the past around a fire, three times he denied him. And so now with the same fire environment, he's asking him, do you love me? And you know, Peter, he's just like, you know, Lord, you know, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, I, I love you. Okay, Peter, but what, what do you know, Peter? What, what do you know, Peter? And if Peter were to be honest with himself, Peter would be honest in the moment. Peter would say, I know, I know, Lord, that you knew that I would, I would fail before I did. I, I know, Lord, that, that you saw me in the moment and the process of when I was failing. And I know, Lord, that if I'd be honest, I know that you purposely called to me to be with me even after I failed. And Lord, probably because of this, that in spite of my failures and faults and flaws, you probably know that deep down, I really have a heart that's trying to follow you and be in love with you. If you can stand with me this morning, please, all over this place. I urge you today, don't entertain unbelief about what God is capable of doing in your life. Let me say that again. Don't entertain unbelief about what God is capable of doing in your own life. I say it like this sometimes. Don't try to talk yourself out of what God's trying to talk you into. Because he just wants to know this. He wants to know, Paul McGee, can, can you dish out what you're taking in? What am I taking in, God? You're taking in all the love I've shown you. Can you dish it back out? Can you love me? Because I've been loving you when I knew you was going to fail as you failed and even after you failed. Can you love me? Because I think there's enough evidences in your life to show you that I've loved you even with all of your insecurities. Even with all of those feelings of shame. John Maxwell, leadership guru, guru hit the nail on the head whenever he said this. He said that God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind of people around. 
So this morning, go tell Peter, I love him. God has sent me here this morning to tell you whatever your name is. Again, you can put it in that phrase. Go tell Paul. Go tell Margaret. Go tell Andrew. Go tell him that I love him. Because whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you may have been, I want you to understand this morning that he loves you. And against what your mind may be telling you, he still wants to meet with you. He still wants to have a relationship with you. Every head bowed in this place, eye closed. They're going to begin to sing here this morning. And this altar is open. There may be someone here today. Something maybe have pricked you in your heart. You may have come into this place feeling so insignificant. Unworthy is the word I hear people use a lot of times. Unworthy. But it's not based upon your worthiness. It's based upon his worthiness. God is reaching for you today. He's saying, I want to meet you here. I know you failed. You're going to fail again. You're in the process of failing. But I want to meet you. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Church family, I advise us today, those, amen, that would to come to an altar and pray or come and stand and pray today as many as could. Let's, let's just create an atmosphere here right now where someone can hear the voice of the Lord that says, Peter, Peter, I love you. Sir, I love you. Ma'am, ma'am, I love you. I, I see where you are, ma'am. I see the struggle. I, I, see, I see the lies that are in your mind that the adversary is telling you that, that you just, you're just not good enough. You don't have to be good enough. I love you, ma'am. I love you, sir. Hallelujah. Let's talk to God right here for a little while. We have baby dedications, but nothing's as important as this moment right now. Hallelujah. Father, I love you, Jesus, today. Church, pray, if you will. Thank Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.